Morning, everybody doing all right today? Golly, if you want to know how long we've been working on the church, how long we've been here at Faith Christian Outreach and even beyond our first launch, just look at Baylor's age because he was a baby. I mean, he was just born when we started, so that's, that's how long we've been doing this. And, uh, man, it's, it's, it's just a surreal moment watching these guys in T-ball, you know, have them coach, you know, all that stuff that has happened, and then to see them grow up as a product of our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. I'm going to tell you something. We're not wasting our time here. We're not wasting our time here, which reminds me of some of the things that we got going on. First of all, at the end of this worship, we're going to be baptizing some people. So we strongly encourage you to stick around and see some of these people that were being baptized. Special day for me, uh, I get, you know, some of the same thing, we're baptizing some of our kids. So uh, that, that is a really, really important thing. Then we're celebrating our 17th anniversary today. Isn't that awesome? We've been here... Yeah, go ahead. That's all right. And uh, how we're doing that is some of the things that we've got going on, some of the festivities, the baptism celebration. But 5 o'clock at Tecumseh Park, we're going to, like, take over that park. And uh, we'll have softball. We're going to be eating some cake. We're uh, grilling some burgers, some dogs. Uh, come and bring all your sports equipment. Bring your lawn chair. People forget their lawn chairs. Bring your lawn chair, your Frisbees, your footballs, uh, horseshoes, whatever you want to play, cornhole. Is that what it's called, cornhole? Whatever. You know, bring, bring your games and get ready. And get ready to meet some brand new people. Because there's a whole other church in the first service that, that a lot of people here don't know. So you'll get to, a lot of people come to the, the, the friends at the park and the celebration that we have and think, hey, man, I've, I've been going to church with this person all this, all this time. And I didn't even know I was going to church and I've known them for years. So get ready to meet some people that you didn't know that you knew. Uh, at this event, and the entire church is invited. Uh, the Friends Connect groups put it on. We're bringing all the food. Uh, if you're not just because you're not a part of a Friends Connect group, uh, don't not don't not go because the entire church is is invited. So anyway, let's dive into this. I got a lot to cover in just a short amount of time. One more thing: next week is Mother's Day, so we always have a special Mother's Day worship. Bring your mom, bring your grandma, bring your wife. We are going to be giving away some prizes, and we have a special service designed for Mother's Day. We have a special message, so make sure you do that next week. Do you know that Mother's Day is usually our second largestly, uh, largest attended worship? It really is. So anyway, just as a special day, we always have a good time. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. May we eliminate all distractions from our minds and our hearts and open up our ears and our eyes to see what you want us to see in this time as we discuss the phenomenon, your son, Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, happy anniversary. Because you're the church. You are the church. Happy anniversary. When we've been talking about, and this is the last message of phenomenon, by the way. This is the last of the installments of this. When we talk about a phenomenon, we're not just talking about the miracles of Jesus, but we're talking about the fact that Jesus himself was a phenomenon. In the time of Christ, when he was walking around Jerusalem, Judea, and that part of the world, he wasn't just somebody doing some things in the corner of the city. He was a very, very big deal. Scholars believe that Jerusalem was somewhere between 100,000 and a million people. It was, it was, we get all different surveys of what it might have been, but there were a lot of people, and Jesus was a very big deal. And I want to show you that with some of the Scripture. In Mark 3 and 8, 
it says that the news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to meet him. Vast numbers. All of the, all of the gospels that talk about Christ and his miracles and who he was and what he was talk about large crowds following him. It says Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd could not crush him He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Consider that that Jesus had such healing power that thousands, tens of thousands of people wanted to be near him and wanted to touch him, even to the extent that Jesus said, hey, I need you to give me a boat, and they had to push him out in the water so he was not crushed. Luke, the sixth chapter and the 17th verse says, when he came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a on." on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea Judea, and from Jerusalem. The 18th verse says, They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. The Bible talks about certain situations that, and it wasn't every time that Jesus entered into a city, but there were many times when Jesus walked through a city or a region that there was this anointing power that was on him that just by touch, you would be healed. Not, and you didn't necessarily have to touch his body, and we're going to read about a story here in just a second. You didn't even have to touch his body. You didn't even have to touch his hand. He didn't have to look at you. You didn't even have to get in front of him. All you had to do was get past the tens of thousands of people that surrounded him. And if you could just touch a part of his garment, you would would be made whole. Word of that got around. Now, if word of that got around about Jesus and there were tens of thousands of people, think about what it would be like when Jesus came to town. Well, it was a frenzy. People, can, people hear about it. That's why Jesus would walk into cities and he would tell people when he healed them, don't tell anybody. And also he would, he, would, he would sometimes go into cities and not announce that he was there because he wanted individual conversations with people. But when word of him getting to town and what he could do got, made its way through the city, think about being one of the disciples. Think about one of, being one of the 12 disciples walking around him, and all of a sudden, word gets around that this is Jesus, and to be healed of whatever's going on in your life, all you had to do was touch his, touch his, touch his robe. Well, you would become an instant bodyguard, right? You would, you would have to, you know, give it one of these, you'd have to push, and it was, well, we're going to read about it here in just a second. Listen to this. Healing was not a matter of if. Healing was not a matter of if. It wasn't, of, it wasn't a deal like, you know, it would be with me if, 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 if you were to come down and something was going on in your life. I would pray for you and I would believe that God was going to move in your life. I would be in agreement with you. But that was between your faith and it's between your faith and God. And that would be whatever God wants to work in your life. It would be, it would be a matter of if. Would you agree with that? There, there might be some factors in there. But when Jesus walked through a city, it was not a matter of if. It was a matter of whether or not you could get through to him. It was, it was a matter of, sometimes it was a matter of whether you could get through and just simply touch him. Look at Luke 12 and 1. It says, meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. So this is what it was like to walk around with Jesus. Jesus was not a teacher in the corner of Jerusalem that provided a few miracles and did a little bit of teaching. Jesus was a huge thing. 
He was, he was a, a person that performed many miracles. He was a phenomenon who f- performed countless miracles in every city, in every region, and people from all over did whatever they could do to get through to him. Well, today's message of phenomenon I'm calling Breakthrough to Jesus. And as I read this next story in this scripture, I want you to think about what you need from God. And maybe God wants to move in your life, and it may just so happen that as God wants to move in your life, you've been waiting for God to move. And it, could it be that you need to take a step? Could it be that I need to take a step, move towards God, and break through just like these people that I'm about to read about, just like they had to break through? Are you ready? Are you ready? Today's phenomenal miracle is from Mark, the fifth chapter, in the 21st verse. I'm going to read it like I always do, and I'm going to break I'm going to back up and I'm going to break it down. I'm going to pull some of the things out of it that I believe that the Holy Spirit might want to say to us. It says this. Jesus got into the boat and went back to the other side of the lake where there was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him, and all of the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything that she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed from her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at the crowd. Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell down uh, to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, hey, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let them go on with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, everybody out. He took the girl's father and mother and his and three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Then they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Now, let me ask you something. Why did Jesus give them strict orders not to tell anyone? Because it would start a frenzy. And the next thing you know, he would have to go outside the city to be able to do anything. 
That's, this is what I'm talking about. It was, there, was, there was a challenge when it came to getting what you needed from the Lord. Jesus was a miracle worker, and he was willing, and he was able to do some things in the lives of people. But we see a lot of times in the Scripture that there was only some people that received what they needed from the Lord, and those were the, the people with the ability to break through. There were challenges. The challenge that I'm discussing today is the ability to break through, to be able to give, break through some things and some things that are happening in our lives to, in order to receive what we need from God because there can be interruptions, there can be blocks, there can be distractions. But if you need something from God, you got to get to Jesus. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you got to get to Jesus. Now, this was a unique story in that it was two miracles in the middle of one. And I'm not going to spend any, I'm going to spend very, very little time on the story of the woman. My focus is on Jairus. But very quickly, I want to talk about the difference. Because it wasn't that, it wasn't that Jesus came only to help the poor. He came to anybody that was spiritually deprived. Look at the difference in the people that needed something from the Lord. However, two very, very different lives. Jairus was prominent and well-known. The woman actually was nameless in the story. Jairus was successful and wealthy. He was, a, he was a leader in the community. The woman was poor. She had spent all that she had. For Jairus, it took some time. He had to get in front of Jesus. Then there was some traveling that had to take place. But for the woman, it was an immediate thing that happened in her life. For Jairus, his faith had to deal with his patience, as we're going to read here in just a second, or we're going to talk about for the woman, her faith had to deal with her persistence in, in being able to fight through the crowd. For Jairus, he had to wait for Jesus. And then he had to wait on some other things that were going on. But for the woman, it was just a matter of just getting to Jesus. So I want to I talk about Jairus. And I want to talk about the, 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 the distractions. I want to talk about some of the things, the, the things that were blocking him. And I want to talk about what he had to break through and overcome in order for Jesus to work a miracle in his life. And as I do, maybe God speaks to you through this. Amen? The first thing that he had to break through is he had to break through the crowd. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but I said the word crowd at least seven times in this story. Not only this passage, but it seems that any time in the Gospels that Jesus was working miracles, there was always this challenge of the crowd. The word crowd comes from the Greek word Oklos, which means mob. And to go a step further, it is a large number of people gathered in a disorganized, unruly way, a.k.a. Walmart on the first Sunday of the month. <laughs> or Black Friday sale at Walmart. The crowd can be distracting. It, uh, it's, it's an angry, desperate people on the loose. The crowd has a way of first obstructing. The crowd obstructs, and this is why Jesus would have us separate from the crowd. It obstructs us from what we're trying to do or where we're trying to go. What were a person's chances of, of getting to Jesus? If tens of thousands of people were around Jesus and they were pushing and pushing and pushing, what were the chances of getting to Jesus because of the crowd that would keep people that needed to be healed? How much planning did it take Jairus to get to this place? Did he... Did he did he go there the day before, before Jesus left and went to the other side? Did he miss him? And did he come back the next day and, and wait on him? 
And then when he did, there was crowds of people all around. How long did it take to get to Jesus with people pushing and people pulling? That's what the crowd does. The crowd also distracts with, an, with a mob mentality, with people saying, Jesus, over here. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I need this. Jesus, I need that. With people thinking, if I can just get to him. Maybe that's what, what Jairus was saying. Maybe, maybe Jairus was saying that within himself, if I can just get to Jesus, maybe because I'm a, I'm a synagogue leader and because I believe him, even though I'm a Pharisee, maybe if I can just get to him. And then it finally happens. He gets to Jesus and he kneels down. He says, Jesus, please, please come and heal my daughter. If you don't, she's not going to make it. And what are the chances that you get to Jesus? And then when you do get to him, he actually comes to your house. Because everybody wanted Jesus to come to their house. He wasn't taking those offers. He had somewhere. He was always headed in a direction. But he decides to go out of his way and follow Jairus to the house. And then when it finally happens, and Jairus is under this sense of emergency. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Disciples, get Jesus. Don't let him look to the right. Don't let, let's get him. Because we're working against the clock here. And all of a sudden, this woman comes up and touches him. And then there's this big distraction. And he, Jesus turns around and talks to this woman. He has this conversation. It, it doesn't happen that fast. If you break down to, to what Jesus said to her and what had to be said, this probably, this conversation went on for a little bit. And he's thinking to himself, I need him to get to my house because my daughter's going to pass away. What is he supposed to say? Jesus, you don't have time to heal the dying woman. I need you to come with me. There's all kinds of distractions. Of course, he can't say there's all kinds of distractions all around. You got to, uh, the crowd distracts. Another thing the crowd does is, it is it, the crowd is confused. How many of you know that the crowd is almost always wrong? We see that in the story as when Jesus goes there and he talks to the crowd. People are weeping. Well, Jesus says something to send the crowd away because they're wrong. Many times the crowd can, can, can you know, some of the people are on the outskirts of what Jesus was trying to do. Saying things, if you think about it. I don't know if you know the story about blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, they call him, that he was, that, that Jesus was coming to town and he heard, you know, he's listening and he hears that Jesus is over there and he's going to pass him by. He thinks that he can't, he thinks that he can't get to Jesus or he thinks that, that Jesus is not going to walk by his way. No doubt when he found out Jesus was coming, he probably strategically was out there in a path. And then he thinks Jesus has passed him by and actually Jesus walks by him. So he starts yelling at Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Even though he can't see him, he knows, he's, he knows he's passing by. No doubt he's talked to somebody. Where is he? He's over there. Did he pass? Yeah. What, do something. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that the crowd turned around to him and said, hey, keep it down. Don't bother the teacher. Hey, the, Jesus is too busy for you. Jesus, the Bible says that he yelled even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Son of David, have mercy on me. Until finally, Jesus, where is he? Well, he's back there. Send him to me. Bring him to me. You know what? The crowd was wrong. The crowd was wrong. Let me ask you something. Who is the crowd in your life? Who is the crowd that's, that's drowning out and distracting and blocking what God wants to do in your life? Mark 5 and 37 says, Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him but Peter, James, and John. I wonder what it felt like to be those three with thousands of people all around the miracle worker, the son of God, the Messiah about to head into a place. He stops everybody and says, everybody stay right here except for you three. 
I believe I, I understand what he was trying to do in their lives, but I think that what he was also trying to do is he was trying to eliminate some of the people or some of the wrong crowd. I believe that a lot of times when God gets ready to do something in your life, he might try to eliminate the wrong crowd from your life. Let me ask you something. Are you running with the wrong crowd? And I don't mean the people that are doing sinful things, but is it, it, the, are you running with some doubters? Are you running with some people where God is trying to do some things because you can't make the right decisions walking with the wrong crowd? You can't do the right thing if you're running with the wrong people. Who is the wrong crowd in your life? You have to decide to go forward with Jesus or stay back with the crowd. Maybe God's calling you for you to separate, separate yourself from the crowd because he wants to take you into a house where he's about to perform a miracle. Amen. Sometimes we, sometimes we choose our lifestyle. We choose the crowd. When, when Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you need to let go of them. Hey, leave them here. Let them stay right here because where I'm taking you, I'm about to perform a miracle. So ask yourself, who is that crowd? And maybe God wants to take you, not because they're bad people, but simply because of what he wants to do in your life. Amen? So you got to break through the crowd. The second thing Jerry's had to break through, the second thing that I believe that you might have to break through in your life is the bad news. The initial bad news. In Mark 5 and 35, it says, while Jesus was speaking, the messengers came from the house of Jerry's and said, hey, it's over. It's over. You don't have to worry about bothering the teacher anymore. Your, your child has passed away. I, I believe that that would probably be some of the worst news that anybody, if you're a parent, it would be some of the worst news that you could ever hear. You know, I got to thinking about that. The enemy wants to fill your life with bad news. He wants to take your good days and turn them into bad days with bad news. Because nothing ruins a good day like a line of bad news, Right? And if we're not careful, we'll focus on the bad news in this world and the bad news in this life. You know, I, I was watching the 6 o'clock news, and I was thinking about that the other day. If you watch the 6 o'clock news, they should rename that to everything that's wrong with the world at 6 o'clock. Don't miss it. You know what I'm saying? That's what it feels like. You're like, man, it's over. But here's the deal. You have to decide what you're going to do with the bad news that you hear, because bad news is a part of life. And the enemy will make sure that he tries to sabotage all the joy in your life, that you're, that you're getting ready to do something, God's ready to take you to somewhere in your life. The enemy wants to sabotage any of the good things that happen in your life by delivering and depositing some bad news into your day. So what we have to understand is bad news is a part of life. So I have to decide what I'm going to do with the bad news. Amen? I might get some bad news, but I serve a good God. Amen? I might get some bad news, but I serve a big God. I might get some bad news, but I serve a powerful God that can turn any kind of situation around and make it good for my life. Amen? God, only God can bring good things out of bad situations. In Romans 8 and 28, we all know this scripture. It says, and we know that God causes everything, including bad news, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He'll take those bad situations. He'll take the bad news. And even if something bad happens, he'll take that, turn it around, and make it for our good. And that's what I choose to believe even with bad news. I want to tell you something. 
building a church, a, a new auditorium, and all the things that we're doing, that is a trine of faith. I was listening to that song, Oceans, where it talks about, Lord, take me deeper. Take me out into deeper water. And, 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 and I'm, I paraphrase, but as I go deeper, make me a person of faith. Strengthen my faith by taking me deeper. You know what that means? That's dangerous area. Deep water is scary. You ever been in deep water? You ever been in the ocean? Throw him out of the boat. 2,000 feet deep. That's scary. You know what I'm saying? I, it's, it's, I remember I was, uh, I was scuba diving in Hawaii and around Maui, around this black rock. To make matters worse, the dive master showed up that was going to take me. He showed up, and he didn't have one leg. You know what I'm saying? And we're diving at night, pitch black. I just had to bring it up. Okay, you got to tell me what happened to your leg. And he goes, well, man, shark got me out here. I'm like, he said, no, I'm just kidding. It was a motorcycle. Ha, 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 So, dude, that's not funny. But I remember we have flashlights. We have flashlights, and everything in the ocean has teeth, you know. We have flashlights, and we're doing all this diving, and we're diving towards, we're diving towards the, 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 uh, uh, what is it, the reef, which is about 40 feet down. But behind me is a deep abyss. So I'm like, you know, looking at this, looking at the, oh, this is really, really, and I get creeped out, you know. We're holding flashlights in the dark, which makes you a target, right? So I'm thinking, like, oh, gosh. All right, Travis, come on. Oh, isn't that turtle? Cool, cool. Oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? And you shine a light out there, and there's nothing out there. It's scary. Deep water is scary. That's what this song, Oceans, is talking about. Take me deeper. That you're going to increase, increase my faith. Let me tell you something. When God gets ready to increase your faith, he's going to take you into some areas that, that, that may be a little uncertain. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. People who received miracles had to break through that bad news. The third thing that he had to break through, he had to break through the fear. Mark 5 and 36 says, Jesus overheard him and said, Hey, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. In other words, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have believe. You see, fear is like this monster that causes us to react in certain ways. When we hear bad news, it strikes sudden fear into our lives, and all of a sudden, it, all of a sudden fear instigates all of these other things. Notice that Jesus didn't say to Jairus, hey, Jairus, don't have anxiety right now. He didn't say that. Hey, Jairus, don't despair. He didn't say that. Jairus, don't get angry. You know what he said? He said, Jairus, don't fear. Why did he say don't fear? Because fear is the instigator of all of these other things. Fear causes anxiety, which causes emotions to rise up in us. And when that happens, it causes us to react or respond in incorrect ways. So if we can just believe. One translation says this. Jesus looked at Jerry and says, don't fear, only believe. If I can get, get you to do one thing right now, Jarius, hey, listen, forget about what you're hearing. Forget about the bad report. Forget about all that. Don't be afraid. And how you're going to deal with your fear is only believe. In the midst of the darkest hour of Jarius, he was saying to him, you have nothing to be afraid of right now. Think about that for a second. Our God is so powerful. Our God, our God cares about us, and he has your back in every, certain, in every circumstance, no matter what happens in life and death, no matter what kind of situation, you have nothing to fear. I want you to say that to your neighbor right now. You have nothing to fear. 
I want you to get that down in your heart. Say it one more time. You have nothing to fear. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Amen? The apostle Paul says, what can death do to me? What can death even do to me? I have nothing to fear. What can death do to me? I wake up in the arms of my Lord. So if you need to overcome your greatest fear, you don't have to have a 10-step process. All you have to do is don't be afraid. Have faith. It sounds trivial, but overcoming fear takes faith. A simple, solid faith. Faith in every situation, whether it be good, bad, blessing, despair, life or death. Break through the crowd. Break through the news. Break, break through the bad news and break through the fear. And finally, I believe you had to break through the doubt. This one and the other point, I believe, goes hand in hand. Doubt is unbelief. And it challenges us. The words of Jesus... And anytime he was about to heal someone, it, he dealt with unbelief. He always challenged our unbelief or our doubts. In Mark 9 and 21, there was a story of a young man that was possessed by a demon. And this man, the father of this young man, he takes this young man to the disciples of Christ. And the Bible says they couldn't cast the demons out of this young man. It was very severe. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, he, he talks about a, this, some kind of a severe, specific Spirit that could only be eliminated through fasting and prayer. He talks about it. Kind of a mysterious kind of thing. But when he took him to Jesus, this is what Jesus said. He says, how long has this been happening? They asked, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus immediately looks at the man and addresses that last phrase. He says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You see, unbelief is a challenge. It's something that we all deal with. Mark 5 and 38 says, when they came to the home of the synagogue of the leader, Jesus saw all the commotion in the weeping and willing, and he went inside and asked, why all the commotion? The little girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. What was he doing there? He was dealing with the doubters. He was dealing with the unbelief. And he had to get everybody, all those people out of the house. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says when he said this, that everybody laughed at him. The weeping and the wailing immediately turns to laughter, which means there was a little bit of issue with sincerity in the house. So Jesus was dealing with all that. He goes in, insults everybody, says something for, that, that people start laughing at him. He says, okay, get everybody out of the house. Why is that? Because when Jesus walks in, doubt has to leave. Jesus will not move in an atmosphere of doubt. Say, but I don't understand that because I have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay that your faith gets rocked sometimes. But here's the deal. Faith is not feeling. Faith is decision. Regardless of the way I feel, regardless of my discouragement, regardless of whatever's going on, the bad report, how I feel in my body, I make a decision and I choose faith. That's why Jesus looked at Jairus and said, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Believe. In other words, he's telling him, make an initial or make an intentional decision to believe and have faith. Sometimes when something happens, you're going to think, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have doubts. 
You're gonna, and your doubts are going to cause you maybe to disbelieve, but you say, no, 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 no. I make a decision regardless of what I hear. I make a decision regardless of how I feel. I choose to believe. Amen? James 1 and 6 says, when it comes to asking something from God in prayer, it says we must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The man, this man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Receiving a miracle from the Lord is a response to our faith. And like I said before, faith is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's up to you and it's up to me to believe and not doubt what Jesus will do. Choose to believe and break through to what God has for you. Amen? Let me close with this. Jesus was and he is a phenomenon who was willing and able to move greatly in the lives of people in the past. And he's willing and able to move greatly in your life. But sometimes instead of stepping back or holding back, sometimes we need to make forward and break through, break through the crowd, break through the bad news, break through the fear, break through the doubt in order for, to get to Jesus so we can receive what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Amen? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us right now. I pray that you will minister to every person wherever we are, whatever we're experiencing, Lord. May we experience breakthrough in our lives wherever we are. Lord, instead of waiting on you, in some situations I believe that you want us to take a step of faith. So I pray, Lord, that we would do just that wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're suffering. Father, speak to people today in Christ's name. As your heads are bowed, maybe God is speaking to you right now. What would he say? What is he saying to you right now? I'm talking to everybody, but right now I'm specifically talking to you. If, if you follow Christ, you're a Christian. You live for God. Maybe you've been wanting to move forward in a certain situation, but fear is gripping your life. You can't experience a miracle of God because of the fear. You can't experience a miracle of God because of doubt. Or you can't experience a miracle of God because of the crowd that you're running with. Or you receive some bad news and that bad news has got you bound. Whatever the case may be, I believe that Jesus is willing and able to move in your life right now. And I want to pray with you right now. If that's you and you need God to move in your life about a certain situation, he's speaking to you. I'd like for you to take the hand of somebody, if you're seated next to somebody you love, take their hand right now. The Bible talks about the significance of two or three people in agreement. Let me pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for meeting us here right now. I thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to us and you want to do a work in the lives of people. Although we are here in a crowd, we are individuals. And we all go through things, we all suffer things, we all struggle. And I believe, Lord, that you want to do business with people where we are. So I pray that. Lord, I pray that if we are being obstructed by things that would cause us to experience you, I pray that we will make a decision to eliminate those things from our lives. And Lord, we rise up in faith. Lord, that we won't succumb to the crowd, the bad news, 
the fear or the doubt. But Lord, we choose you. And if that means taking a step towards you, if that means initiating this, I believe that that's exactly what you want to do. So in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you bring healing, you bring restoration as only you can. Bring good out of whatever bad situation that might have happened. In the name of Jesus, if you believe that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads and continue to be in a spirit of prayer, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Christ and he's not Lord and Savior of your life, for whatever reason, maybe you're sitting here and you have never said the words, Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you have never said, Jesus, I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me for all of my sins. You've never said that. And you feel like you need to make a decision to do that today. You feel like the Lord is drawing you to do that. I want to pray for you. Or maybe your situation is you walked away from God at some point in your life. You were in fellowship with God, but you walked away from him. And today you feel like he's asking you to come home for whatever reason that you've come here. I believe if that's you, God is dealing with your heart right now. And if that be the case, I want to pray for you too. But I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to go to where you are or anything like that. In the way that we just prayed, we're going to pray the same kind of prayer. And you can give your life to Christ right now, and it can be, be between you and God. Actually, you, me, and God, because I'd like to know. If I'm going to pray this prayer, I just need to know that there are people that are serious about giving their life to Christ. If you can say, Travis, I'm going to pray along with you in that prayer, and I'm going to make myself right with God. If that's you and you're going to pray, just slip your hand up and slip it down quickly so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? See your hand over here, sir. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody on this side? Okay. Anybody else? Travis, I'm going to give my life to Christ today. And I'm just going to let you know. I see your hand right there. You can put it down. One more time, then we're going to pray. I just want to know. I want to know I'm praying for people today. Is that it? Okay. As I pray, let's all pray together as a church. And if you lifted your hand, say this prayer with us and give your life to Christ. Mean it with all your heart. Also, maybe I didn't see your hand. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. If you want to be entered into this prayer, just repeat after me. Mean it and come home to Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I'm before you today, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean by your spirit. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. From this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. <laughs>